What is up, everybody? Welcome to your Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, as I am each and every Wednesday. My name is John Harris, football and sideline reporter for your Houston Texans, and we've got a jam-packed show. We got a little money. We got a little Eric. We got a little Dre. We got a little bit of everything. By money, I mean Matt Money. Matt Money Smith, play-by-play man of the, the L.A. Chargers. Mark Vanderbilt had a chance to catch with him. Dre is Andre. Andre Ware. Mark had a chance to catch up with him. We'll also have Eric Williams, who covers the Chargers for ESPN.com. He will be around. My good pal, Dirty Red. Clint Sterner is going to be in at the bottom of this hour. And then the end of the lab crew is going to stop by. Me and Drew Doherty. We'll talk a little bit about this offensive line that we talked about on the podcast. you get a little snippet of that. And if you want to check out the podcast, go to HoustonTexas.com. Go to iTunes. Check out the podcast in the lab. Give it a review. Um, just Continue to listen to it. We've been doing it now for, I think, about two years. So it's a good podcast, man. So go check it out as we start to get ready for the L.A. Chargers. L.A. Chargers. I have to say it because I'll call them San Diego, and I swear I'll call them San Diego on Sunday, and I won't mean to. But Phil Rivers still lives in San Diego. He takes a bus. He does the Deshaun thing, but it's just from San Diego to L.A., not Houston to Jacksonville. He does it every day. He takes the bus. He's got a big RV, and they leave at whatever time. In, in San Diego, goes up to practice, does all the work that he needs to do, takes it on back. It's got it's decked out. I mean, he didn't want to take his kids out of San Diego school, so that's what Phillip's doing. And he's done a good job since they've been in L.A. This is going to be a big, huge, massive challenge to take on the Chargers in their building. And I know some people snicker and go, they're building. Well, they'll go into the big building next year, the one that they're going to share with the Rams over at Inglewood, which, by the way, I flew to L.A. in June. My daughter and I were going out there. And we're kind of doing a sights and sounds tour of L.A., if you will. And as you're flying into LAX, you see this monstrosity. And like, oh, my goodness. I can't wait to see what this thing looks like. Now, it was supposed to be done for this year. But I guess some weather and some red tape got to push back to 2020. So uh, we'll have to go out there some other time. Hopefully we'll get on the Chargers schedule again. Maybe if we both finish in first place this year, play the Chargers next year in that new building. But they're not there yet. Uh, we're going to be playing in the smaller building, which it seems as though everybody tends to like that goes out there. And I hope, I hope you fans go out there. I would say dress in red. I've seen some blue, but I don't want to get it meshed in with their blue. So wear red. Stand out. Dominate the place. And I'll give you a reason why the red stands out. I watched Georgia Vanderbilt. This was first game of the college football season. And there was red. You could see red on TV all over the place. It looked like a Georgia home game. They just completely took over Vanderbilt Stadium. It was crazy. Take over this stadium, and hopefully the traveling Texans will get out to L.A., have a good time. Uh, I realized I like L.A. a whole lot more than I ever thought I did. I'd gone out there twice with the team, but I'd never done the whole sights and sounds thing and uh, saw the sights. It, it, I had a blast. My daughter and I, had a, we had a blast. We did every L.A. thing you possibly uh, could do. We went to Malibu. We shopped on Santa Monica. We went to Hollywood Sign. Uh, we ate well. We walked Hollywood Boulevard. My daughter let a snake crawl over her for 10 bucks. Yeah, I mean... A wax museum, uh, yeah, and I didn't touch a snake. I got, I got a thing with snakes. So, anyhow, so plenty on the show. Matt Money Smith in the lab crew, Clint Sterner, Eric Williams, Andre Ware, plenty on this show. But we're going to start it off with our hot reads. Hot reads brought to you by Geico. Fifteen minutes can save you fifteen percent or more on car insurance. And we start with the first hot read, and it is Whitney Merciless. AFC Defensive Player of the Week announced this morning two sacks, two forced fumbles 
against the Jacksonville Jaguars. On the season, he's got three sacks, an interception, two forced fumbles. He has been a monster early on. It is the second time that he has earned that honor. He earned it, I believe, week one of 2016, and that was against the Chicago Bears. So when he gets his second honor in the last four years and just doing a tremendous, tremendous job, Whitney Merciless, AFC Defensive Player of the Week. String a couple more of these together, he could be AFC Defensive Player of the Month because he's had two tremendous games to start off. And I'm curious, really curious, how the Chargers will go about trying to handle Wit. I don't think either of the tackles, Ian Scott or Sam Tevy, are very good. They're going to have, they're going to need the tight ends to help because if those guys are going one on one with Watt and Merciless, big Philly styles in for a long day. They cannot go one-on-one against them. But I would imagine that they would decide to double J.J. Watt. I mean, who doesn't double J.J. Watt, right? But that's going to leave Witt one-on-one. Forget it. Now, if you want to go one-on-one with Watt and then chip Watt, chip Merciless with backs, tight ends, double with – I don't know. I don't know how you go about doing it. But if the Texans are going to have an advantage in this game, that might be a significant spot for them to have an advantage that Whitney and, and J.J. are coming off the edge. But here's the other thing, too. And this is one thing that if you watch the game closely, you realize this team's got some guys that can rush now. I just mentioned the two that everybody knows. Charles Amenehu, strip sack off the edge. And here's the thing about Chuck. Chuck rushed from the center, over the center. He rushed from over one of the guards, and he rushed from the edge. He rushed, rushed from three different spots in three different schemes on Sunday against the Jaguars. And he got home from the edge and he got close rushing against the guard. So now you got Chuck that can rush. you got Jake Martin, who has gotten to the quarterback at least two or three times in the limited reps that he's been able to get. And he's a, he's a house of fire. So you got him coming off the edge. And you've also got Brent Scarlett. And Scar, B-Scar was moving a little bit the other day, and the, it looked like he came up with a sack, but it's actually, actually Omenu who knocked the ball out. But Brennan did that two-hand chop, bent it to the quarterback, and ended up getting a big hit on Gardner Minshew. Didn't get credit for the sack, but the Texans have got some guys that can rush, and I think that's been the biggest development. But those first two, they're going to be the ones that the Chargers are are definitely going to have to game plan for. Now, obviously the Texans have to game plan for the Chargers' weapons and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and and, uh, Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson, so they've got their hands full there. But the Chargers are going to have their hands full with those guys up front. And Witt against the Chargers back in 2016 – he got the Rivers maybe two, three times. I mean, a beat before or beat after Philip got rid of the ball. So AFC Defensive Player of the Week, Whitney Merciless, hopefully he can duplicate that on Sunday against the L.A. Chargers. But great news to hear that Whitney had earned earned that honor. And I mean earned it. That man has done a great job since he has been here in Houston. I was so glad for him that he was able to take home an honor as such. Now, Let's get to our next hot read, and that is the all-important injury report. Now, it gets a little lengthy as you get into the season. I don't think anything is troubling at this point. Things to keep an eye on, but nothing exactly troubling at this point. Guys that were limited in practice today. Will Fuller, not injury-related. DeAndre Hopkins with ribs, he's been limited for that. He was limited last week. Taiwan Jones, Sunil Kamete, they were limited last week. 
the good news in that was Greg Mance was limited last week. He was a full participant today. A.J. Moore dealing with a little bit of a knee. He was limited. And LT, Larry Tunsil, limited with the ankle that he went out of the game late against the Jags but did come back in. So he's been dealing with that ankle, and hopefully he's going to be okay. Uh, but you had Greg Mance back at practice full. You had Justin Reed at full practice. El Wapo, Carlos Hyde was full, uh, doing a little bit of a shoulder. Sean Gibson and Dylan Cole, those guys were all full participants at practice today. There is your injury report. Now, we've been talking about this one for a while. The Chargers have been banged up, and they had to make some moves today because of some injury issues. The biggest one is that safety Adrian Phillips has been placed on injured reserve. So the Chargers went into the season thinking they had two starting safeties, Adrian Phillips, Derwin James. Those were the guys. They both will miss this game. They both will be on injured reserve for a significant period of time. So Phillips out, Derwin James already out, Russell Okung not coming back, Melvin Gordon is not signed. Uh, he is still holding out. I should say he's not signed. He's holding out. He has a contract. He has not uh, come back into into the Chargers' fold because he is holding out, wanting a new contract. So it's a banged-up football team. Hunter Henry uh, is more than likely going to miss this football game. Not more than likely, he's going to miss this football game. So they're down some weapons, the Chargers are. But the Texans are banged up a little bit too. So everybody banged up at this point. It just feels like the Chargers probably a little bit more with the with the names you recognize missing games. We haven't gotten there with the Texans. Hopefully don't. But the Chargers putting Adrian Phillips on injured reserve today, actually yesterday, that was big news because that's the starting safeties for the Chargers. So hopefully that will result in some throws down the field, beating the safeties, making some big plays. If there's a week to do it, you could potentially have an undrafted free agent rookie starting at safety in this one. That might be a place you attack. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right, next hot read. Let's get to Texans Audio Jukebox. Oh, yes. Love me a little audio jukebox Texan style. And we're going to hear from Deshaun Watson. And, of course, when you talk about the Chargers, you have to start with the defense of Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Here's what Deshaun had to say today when he went to the podium to talk about those two pass rushing stars. Uh, yeah, I mean, those two guys that you got to make sure that you got to you know, keep an eye on and contain as much as you can. Um, you know, there's two great players, Pro Bowl players, where they you know, make a lot of money to, to go set the quarterback and make plays in the backfield. So you got to make sure you have a nice plan for those two and, and uh, try to contain them as best you can. That might be one of the best pairs in the league. Bosa and Ingram, Ingram and Bosa, they can do a lot of different things coming off the edge. Bosa can hit you with that speed to power. Ingram can hit you with spin moves and a very skilled technician along with being a tremendous athlete. When he was in college, he ran a fake punt about 75 yards at 270 pounds, and nobody caught him. So you're talking about two very good athletes. Now, the offense on Sunday, admittedly, not where you'd like it to be, but these guys haven't been together all that often. But the more time they're on the field, the better off they're going to be. Sean had his thoughts about where the offense is and where it can be. Uh, it takes time. You know, you just got to be able to get some live action with each other uh, and real game speed, and, and that's what those guys have been doing. They're doing. They've been doing a heck of a job of you know, running the ball, containing, um, and, and protecting in the pass game when we need to, and, and just trying to, you know, continue to build chemistry. And that just takes time, reps, and more experience you get each and every uh, game day, um, especially at this level, especially for the young guys, you know, for Titus and Mats and anyone else that's, that's new, especially to this offense, too. So, 
uh, the chem- chemistry with those guys are growing, and uh, you can tell and you can see it. We said coming into this year that Deshaun was going to have some big-time players that are receiver. We knew about DeAndre Hopkins. We hoped that Will Fuller would be 100% healthy because he is a downfield weapon and a big-time playmaker. And we knew about Kiki QT just had to stay healthy. We didn't realize the team would trade for Kenny Stills, but you throw him into the mix, you throw DeAndre Carter in the mix, boy, you've got some, you've got some dudes that can make things happen at the receiver position. Sean was asked, how do you spread the wealth? How do you make everybody happy in some sense? What's what he had to say about his receiver group? Uh, it's always good to have weapons. You know, just try to get the ball in their, those guys' hands and, and let them go to work. Uh, that's what they get paid for to do to, uh, you know, get the ball and, and make something happen um, in space. And so uh, it's always good to have, you know, healthy receivers that can fly around and make plays for you. And it's fun to, to kind of get everyone healthy and, and try to get back on the same page and, you know, get more experience as, as the game days and, you know, the practices continue to grow. All right, let's flip this jukebox over to head coach Bill O'Brien. And obviously, coach calls the plays on offense, but he's paying attention to what's going on in defense. He was asked about the impact of Bradley Roby thus far, this early in the year. Roby has a has a versatile skill set. Um, he's a smart guy. He learns well. Uh, he moves well. He's got quickness and speed. Uh, he's a patient player. And he's tackled well in the first two games. So uh, just needs to keep that going. But as I mentioned earlier, AFC Defensive Player of the Week, Whitney Merciless. Two sacks, two strip fumbles against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Of course, Coach was asked about the impact that Whitney has had on this organization, on this defense. Whitney has been a very productive player for us over the years. I mean, he's he's been a guy that really is just known for doing his job. You know, he just does a good job of setting the edge in the running game and then rushing the passer. Uh, I think the big thing for Whitney's always been health. You know, if he can stay healthy, be out on the field, he'll make a lot of good plays. I'll tell you one play that Whitney, I don't believe, got a stat for, but it may have been his best play all day. They ran at Whitney, and the tight end tried to cut block him, and Whitney just stuffed that guy. Andrew Norwell was pulling around the edge, and Norwell tried to pin him inside. Witt set the edge on Norwell, turned the back inside, Fournette, and then Zach Cunningham and I believe it was Justin Reed finished him off for maybe no gain. It was the best play Whitney had, I think, all day. I mean, it was tremendous to play the low block the way he did and then get the and get set the edge against Andrew Norwell. It was just absolutely fantastic. So good stuff there from Coach O'Brien. And that, my friends is and of course those are our hot reads for today presented to you by geico 15 minutes can save you 15 percent or more on car insurance all right we get back we're gonna dive into this one a little bit more with eric williams espn.com covers the chargers for espn la we'll talk a little bit about that with our behind enemy sidelines interview the week with DBC to next right here in Texas All Access. If you are a third or fourth grade teacher in Houston or anywhere for that matter, I'm talking to you. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexas.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. I may have been a little bit ahead of my time. I used to use football in my math and also my physics classes that I taught many, many eons ago. Just something maybe to uh, think about because Toro's Math Drills can help you out. I'm just I'm telling you. I didn't know to call them Toro's Math Drills, but now that we have them, you can use them. Third, fourth grade teachers. Now, somebody that I think would have been an excellent teacher is D.P. Sitter. She would have been a tremendous teacher, but she's tremendous 
in her role interviewing the various people that she has to interview. And this week, she goes behind enemy sidelines with Eric Williams, who covers the Chargers for ESPN LA. DP, take it away. Let's talk Chargers-Texans matchup. First off, the Chargers coming off a, a pretty tough 13-10 loss to the Lions. After winning the season opener in the overtime game against the Colts, what's the buzz surrounding the Chargers right now out there? Well, I think there's been a lot of talk about the injuries just because of the the, the stature of some of the guys that have gone down. Derwin James obviously is out going to be going to be out for a while because of the foot injury that he suffered during training camp, and then they lose Hunter Henry, uh, important part of their offense for about six to eight weeks with a knee injury. Um, so I think for them, it's just kind of overcoming uh, not having those guys. You know, failed to mention Melvin Gordon who's out due to a contract issue. Uh, trying to figure out you know, what they're going to do on offense and defense in order to replace that production. Um, obviously a disheartening loss to the Lions last week. They made a lot of mistakes. They felt like they probably should have won that game. Uh, but they come home, they host the Texans, and now they'll try to regroup and see if they can get back on the winning side. Yeah, certainly the Melvin Gordon storyline, one that we were all sort of following in the offseason. You've got Austin Eckler out there filling in for Gordon. What is the latest on Gordon, and how has Eckler filled in mm-hmm. in Gordon's absence? Yeah, with Gordon, obviously, uh, he wants to be paid amongst the top running backs in the league, $13, $14 million annually. Uh, the Chargers probably, uh, excuse me, probably from what I've been told, uh, have offered about $10 million annually. So they haven't bridged the gap. Uh, right now, the Chargers are basically telling Gordon that he's going to pay for play for what the, the contract is in terms of his rookie contract is $5.6 million uh, for this season. Uh, I think Gordon, if you talk to people around his camp, uh, wants to make sure that he's fully healthy when he hits unrestricted free agency. So that's one of the reasons he's sitting out, uh, but has to report at some point. So the league year doesn't pull. So he's expected to report sometime there midseason. Uh, Austin Eckler has played well with, with Gordon out. Uh, he's amongst the leaders in terms of yards from scrimmage, uh, four, scored four touchdowns. He did have a fumble at the goal line uh, against the Lions. So we have to clean that up. But I think overall they're happy with the production of getting from Austin, but would like to have Gordon there as well. Let's talk about Phillip Rivers. Obviously you can't talk about the Chargers without talking about Rivers now in his 16th season. There's always so much talk of what a gunslinger is and how the Chargers you know, will make that postseason push as long as, as long as he's under center. How has he looked through two games, especially with not having Gordon in the backfield and not having Hunter Henry? Yeah. I think he's looked like the old Philip Rivers. You know, they obviously are going to lean on Philip a little bit more offensively because they don't have Gordon there. Um, he does have two interceptions, but um, for the most part, I think he's doing a pretty good job of distributing the ball uh, and not making mistakes. Uh, the arm strength is still there. Um, he's obviously not the most mobile guy, although he did have a 12-yard run for a first down. Um, but I still think that he's the same guy you've seen in the past. He's going to be fiery on the field. He's going to be talking to the opponent. That's just how he operates. Um, and he still can, can make all the throws uh, in terms of you know making him from the pocket. So I think he's pretty much the same guy. I love his fashion sense, by the way. Is he uh, been rocking the, <laughs> the outfits, the bolo ties <laughs> this yeah. year? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he did rock the bolo tie, I believe, in the Detroit game. Um, so that's something he's going to continue to do, the, the belt Good. buckle and the, the cowboy boots. That, that's that's his swagger. That's how he rolls, uh, and I think fans have grown to appreciate that from Philip over the years. He's 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 the same guy that he was when he when he entered the league, um, and and that's not going to change. 
Well, good. I, I like to hear that. You know, when the news of Hunter Henry broke, there was some talk of the Chargers possibly calling up Antonio Gates. Uh, what happened yeah. with that? Is that still a possibility for the Chargers? Yeah, there was some talk or speculation that Gates could potentially return to the team. Um, I think that's unlikely at this point, um, you know, just based on conversations I've had with people inside the building. Um, Gates remains a free agent. Um, certainly he, he might sign with another team potentially, but I think right now uh, the Chargers are just going to play with who they have on the roster. Potentially it might bring up somebody from the practice squad because they only have two tight ends on the, uh, the roster right now. The kicking situation is such a unique one in San Diego, and I don't know if unique is the right word, but I saw that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how else you would. I don't know how else you would word it. Um, they have their punter stepping in as as a field goal kicker. What can you tell us about the Chargers' kicking situation, and do you expect that yeah. to continue like that? Well, as you mentioned, uh, Ty Long handled kicking duties along with punting duties the first two weeks of the season. And that's something that he's done in his past. He came from the CFL, and he had a lot of success there uh, as a kicker, punter, and the guy that handled kickoff. The Chargers brought him in because of that, because of that versatility, and they really wanted to use him as a kickoff specialist. Uh, Michael Badgley, who who came in last year as a midseason addition, performed uh, well for them last year, but he's dealing with a growing issue, and that's why he didn't play the first two weeks. He did kick on Friday of last week, though, and was, I think, pretty close to playing. I think they're hopeful that he can be healthy uh, on Sunday against the Texans. The issue is, though, is they don't want him to have any lingering issues with that groin issue. issue. They don't want to run him out, and then he gets re-injured, and now he's going to be out for a longer period of time. So they're going to make sure that he's fully healthy uh, going against the the Texans on Sunday. Um, But I think they're hopeful that he can play on Sunday. Yeah, it looked like the punter um, there, Ty Long, he missed a couple of field goals. If mm-hmm. if the kicker is not ready to go, you think they signed someone else or are they're they're going to just stick with the situation they have? I think they would stay with Ty Long as it stands now. But certainly there's a possibility they do sign a kicker if they don't have faith in him uh, going out there and making the kicks. He was good in the, in, in the first week against the Colts, uh, made, uh, I think, a 39-yarder, made all its extra points. Obviously, against the Lions, it was a different story. He struggled, missed two field goals. Um, so that's an important area. You know, a lot of games are within a touchdown within the league. Um, but I think for right now, as it stands, if Badgley's not available, I think they would go with Ty Long again. All right, let's switch gears and talk about that defense. The run defense, uh, the Chargers, they got stingy after allowing over 200 yards in week one against the Colts. Uh, they did pretty well against the Lions. What, what do you think was the biggest key in the Chargers' ability to slow down the opposing ground game last week? Um, I think continuity, just, just having the same guys out there again and, and, and being disciplined in their run fits and where they need to be playing and play out. Uh, the Colts were able to, to create a lot of explosive plays through the run game, particularly second half of that game. They only had 29 rushing yards in the first half against the Chargers and then kind of opened things up in the second half. Obviously, the Colts have a pretty good offensive line, too, so that's, that's, that's part of the equation as well. Um, so I just think having some continuity and getting guys on the same page against the Lions, they were able to perform better, and we'll see if they can continue to do that against the Texans. Uh, let's talk about fan support. The last time uh, we played the Chargers on the road was back in 2013. They were still in San Diego. Now they're in L.A. 
What's the situation with the fan support like? Have they sort of embraced having the Chargers there in town, especially with the Rams uh, also playing in the same city? Yeah, embrace probably isn't the word I would use. <laughs> uh, oh, I would fair enough. Developing. <laughs> uh, you know, just it's, it's a unique situation. Obviously, you're playing in a soccer stadium. Uh, there's 27,000 seats. So when the Texans were in San Diego in 2013, you know, if you had 10,000 Texans fans in there in a 65,000-seat stadium, their presence can be felt, but not as much as if they're in a smaller venue. So now when you, you play in a smaller venue and you have ten to 12,000 opposing fans, uh, th- their presence is just felt more than it would if you're in a, a larger stadium. So I think that's been the main issue. I think they're continuing to to gain more fans in L.A., but um, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of uh, pro teams in, in uh, L.A., um, and then, you know, they're not fully being embraced at this point. There are some fans from San Diego that have continued to follow the team uh, up to L.A., but I don't think we're going to really be able to truly evaluate how they're doing in the market until they move into the new stadium in Inglewood, which happens in 2020. Um, they're pricing their tickets a little bit lower, so they – so more people can afford to go to the game. We'll see if that helps. Um, but I think we're, we're still kind of in wait-and-see mode in terms of how they're doing in the market. Does Philip Rivers still drive that big bus uh, in training camp to get to the facility where he watches film? <laughs> Is that still a thing it's out there? S- it's a Cadillac SUV. Uh, he does not drive it. He has a driver that drives it. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, yeah, he, and it's set up so he can, he can watch film in the back while he's driving so he can be productive. Uh, it's a nice-looking vehicle. Um, I think it's probably about 80 minutes from him door-to-door uh, going back and forth, uh, which in L.A., if you've driven in L.A., if you're driving from one part of the L.A. to another part, it could take you that long to get from one place to another. Um, so, yeah, he's still making the commute. I love it. All right, thanks so much. Uh, Eric, what are some of the stories that you're going to be working on this week heading into the Texans game? Uh, yeah, I think one of the main stories is, you know, talking to Derek Watt, J.J. Uh, Watt's younger brother. This will be the first time they actually face off. Uh, the last time uh, the Chargers played against Houston in Houston, J.J. I think was dealing with a back injury at that point. Um, so he's looking forward to, to go against his older brother. And Derek's actually 2-0 and uh, against his brothers. He they beat the Steelers last oh, year no. against T.J. Uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of talking back and forth. You know, of course, that the brothers uh, text each other daily, communicate with each other, uh, and are really close. So I think that's kind of one of the main storylines I'll be focusing on this week. There you have it. A little bit of L.A. Charger football from Eric Williams. Hopefully he becomes a good buddy of ours. Hopefully we play the Chargers more often, and we'll have Eric on. Very, very good stuff there. Covers the Chargers for ESPN L.A. and appreciate his time. Now, a guy who covers the Texans for us here in Houston, covers Arkansas football, played for the Cowboys. The man has done pretty much everything. He's our good friend, Clint Sterner, and he is next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host, and I'm joined by, joined by my good friend from Sports Radio 610, former Arkansas quarterback, for, former Dallas Cowboys quarterback, man knows ball, and I love having him on for that reason. It's our buddy, Clint Sterner. Clint, what's going on, man? How you doing? Man, not much, but hell, I, I thought you liked having me on because we were buddies. I didn't realize there was only one reason you saw sucker. No, look, there's multiple reasons. <laughs> there are multiple reasons that I like having you on the air. One of these days, I want you to tell all your Amsterdam stories, but I think we'll have to move that to either satellite radio or some podcast because uh, I want to hear all 
I want to hear all the Amsterdam stories, all of them, at some hey, point. You have to break. You have to break out the cold beer and tequila or something. If that's gonna happen. <laughs> no, look, I'll I'll do it. I'll do it. I just want to hear the stories, man. I went to Amsterdam <laughs> once, once in a uh, just we were we were passing through, but we had like five or six hours passing through, and more stuff happened in those five six hours that I have stories from. Just that one five six hour instance. That I can only imagine what it was like to be over there for a significant period of time. And you were over there to play World League, correct? Yeah, yeah, the NFL Europe, man. It was. Uh, I was over there for eleven weeks, I guess. So yeah, you were knocking on knocking on three months, man. It's a different. It's a different world over there. Like literally, no, no, no pun intended. It's a different world. But it, I tell you what, man. You come back a, a changed man, and and you appreciate the uh, the United States of America and that flag is flying high every day, man. You, you appreciate it a lot more when you spend that kind of time overseas. Amen, brother. Amen. All right, Clint. Sunday's, at, Sunday's game, some ups, some downs. Uh, I mean, it took me about three to three and a half hours to get through the All-22 and the coach's shot and the film. Uh, I, I feel good about some things, and there's some things I feel a little uneasy about that I want to see change. But overall, a W is a W. Clint, what just 30,000-foot view – of the win Sunday against the Jags, what'd you think? Well, anytime you can win ugly, and when you can win when you're not at your best, then, then that then, then you've reached a certain level of, of good, a, a certain level of, of of talent. I mean, you, you've reached a mark where most teams across this league, um, I'll say two thirds of the team in this league would have lost that game Sunday had they played as bad and 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 really. Uh, struggled in several categories the way that the Texans did. And so I think at just a big-picture view, you've got to look at it as, man, we won while we were not at our best. And for the Texans, that that is a, a next step. That is a – that there is a lot to be said about that fact. I think this team would have lost that game time and time again over the last four or five years, but they've reached a point where they can win ugly. So I think that's the – that's the overview. Now it gets ugly as we dig in, but that's the that's the thirty thousand foot view of, of last Sunday versus Jacksonville. Clint, it felt like in the first half they were able to run the ball pretty well. It felt like first drive of the second half offensively, they get kind of out of the shadow of their own goalposts. They get a first down, and then they fumble the ball on an exchange where I think Sean was running a bootleg. Then the next snap is a botched shotgun snap. I don't know if Deshaun and Nick were on the wrong page with that one. And they got to get off the field. And it felt like that sort of knocked the train off the tracks and they never really got back. When you went back and you looked at the game or just watched it live, what did you think was going on in the second half? What was kind of the, the out-of-sync aspect of this offense? What, what did you attribute, attribute that to? John, I think it was a combination of things that are typically very detrimental to a team. You know, it, it, it's just, a, again, broad broad brush in this thing. The, the coming out of the locker room at halftime is one of the four most important aspects of a game, right? Both yep. come out, and then the way you end the first half, the way you end the second half. Those four things or those four situations coming into every game, you know 100% are going to be very vital to your success at the end. And so – the, the situation, the plays, the mistakes that you just highlighted um, are clearly a sign of not not coming out the way that champions come out. And and so that, that in itself is a problem, regardless of how it happened, coming out and having a couple of drives stall and not getting the first down or getting two first downs, that's a problem when you're as explosive 
as this offense is. But look, I, I think we, I think, I think we've got to give credit, John, to to Jacksonville yep. um, and for the plan defensively that they had coming in. Jalen Ramsey held Deshaun, uh, 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 DeAndre Hopkins to a game that I, I, I don't remember seeing, and, and he, he had a he had a few yards, but. Not only was he quiet statistically, but he really never was a factor in the game, and that's all you can ask for. The plan was really good. It threw off Deshaun Watson. Um, I think it threw off the play caller multiple times throughout the game, and and kept an explosive offense out of rhythm. And so uh, I, I think it. Ha- I think the Texans shot themselves in the foot multiple times, no doubt about it. But we got to tip our hat to Jacksonville and what they did on the defensive side of the ball. Clint, that's a great point. Just going back and and I made a mention before the game. The fact that the, the Jaguars have lost some personnel, but they still have some personnel on that side of the field. And even though Jalen Ramsey was squawking at his coach, boy, he played a really good ball game against DeAndre Hopkins. Hop got him last time. Uh, felt like Ramsey maybe got him this time. And that goes kind of back to your first point about you still found a way to win the ball game. Clint, changes on the offensive line. We knew Titus Howard was going to start at some point, and we were happy to see him get back in the lineup at left guard. He starts at left guard, and then a little bit of a surprise when Roger Johnson starts at right tackle. Going back and looking at the offensive line, I know they gave up four sacks, but as you look at each sack, you think, man, I don't know that I can pin all of these on the offensive line. I think there was one you definitely could, but I think it goes part of it goes back to the Jaguar scheme. Got one, especially in a nickel blitz where DJ Hayden came. But overall, what do you think of the way the offensive line changes looked with Roderick Johnson at right tackle and Titus Howard at left guard? And do you think the arrows maybe pointing up with this group or Obviously, we got a long way to go, but how do you like or not like what they did on Sunday? No, John, look, the, the, the arrow is definitely pointing up. I mean, you're still talking about a unit that's never had a full week of practice as when the coach goes, hey, give me the starting offensive line. The five guys that are supposed to stand up know they're supposed to stand up. Right. I mean, this is They've never practiced together. And so I think the arrow is pointing up to answer that question. I think Roderick Johnson at the right tackle position, I don't know how good of a right tackle he's going to be, but the, the, the reason that makes that a wise decision is he is extremely sound. The basic things, man, hand placement, keeping a wide base, being able to drop the anchor, um, knowing who he's got and, and, and knowing how he's going to at least attack them, that's a huge advantage. Uh, for him with this offensive line. I think there's some talented guys up there. I think Chantrell Henderson's talented. I think Davenport was talented as far as having a high ceiling. Those guys just got themselves in trouble immediately when the ball was snapped with bad footwork, bad mechanic, bad technique. And so Roderick Johnson is an upgrade in that category, and, and therefore he'll be much more stable. I, I'm anxious. I'm excited to see how good this offensive line can be with some true time together to bond and gel and communicate as one, they're already running the hell out of the rock uh, the way that nobody expected. Two of the four sacks this past week were no no question about it, zero doubt about it, were on Deshaun Watson. And so they're getting better. And last week, all in all, they played a pretty damn good, pretty, pretty good defense and had a solid performance that, quite frankly, their ability to run the football probably won them the game this week or last week, Sunday. So uh, the offensive line is definitely trending up, John, and, and, uh, and, and I expect big things out of them moving forward this season. All right, Coach Sterner, you cut it to 13-12. to 12. You decide to go for two points. You have Leonard Fournette. You have Gardner Mitchell, a rookie, but he's been creating plays in the second half. The passing game has kind of gotten on track a little bit. 
what do you call for your two-point conversion, and did you agree with what the Jaguars did? I love the, the two-point attempt. I love the, the, the aggressive, let's say we're on the road, we're in a hostile environment let's, versus a very explosive team. Let's not give them another quarter to hit a couple of big plays on us. Let's let's go in this thing. Now, the play call was, was very, very suspect. I mean, other than the fact that you drafted Leonard Fournette in the top five and you expect him to be you know, a, a true three-down back in this league, which I don't think he's proven that he can be a high-caliber three-down back in this league in Jacksonville yet, your quarterback had the hot hand. You're playing a very stingy run defense, regardless of what personnel's here in 2019 versus 2018. They're still damn good versus the run. And so the, the, the call was a bit questionable to me. You had a young quarterback that's very comfortable moving the pocket, throwing with different arm slots. He was hotter than a firecracker, had, had the momentum, and you took the ball out of his hands. I thought that was suspect, but from the Texans' point of view, John, Great call, Jacksonville. Great call. <laughs> no doubt. And here's the here's the oh God, I even I, I cringe as I see this. Down on the bottom of the, the formation where they had the trips receivers, the number three runs a shallow across the field and they run a pick route with the other two, and the outside receiver comes scot free. That if he somehow sticks it in his belly and sees it and pulls it, it's ball game. He's wide Keelan Cole is wide open. Thank God he put it in Fournette's belly. Uh, and those guys up front did a great job. And then Justin Reed finished it off. And to that point, Clint, when you have a play like that, that you – and the defense was really good all day long. I mean, Witt was AFC Defensive Player of the Week. He has two sacks, two strip fumbles. Charles Amenahu, uh gets a strip fumble. Um, Zach Cunningham with the sack. I mean, they really were good all day long. But when you make a play like that, what can that mean – for a defense, what can that mean for a team to save a win, get a sigh of relief sort of win, and kind of propel you going forward? Does it really mean anything? I know in maybe lower levels it does. In the NFL, can it do that as well to kind of have a play to really spur you on uh, after you save a game like that at the end? Absolutely, John. Look, I mean, I don't, I don't care what angle we discuss this game from. It, it, it's a positive angle simply because you go in, everybody's in a good mood because you won a game. You can go watch film and correct the ton of mistakes the the the, the, the Texans on, on really on both sides of the ball the defense played well but there were glaring moments that that were mistakes and and offensively it was the worst game that I've seen I've personally seen the Texans play um for four quarters they, they've been bad for spurts but for four quarters it was tough sled on the offensive side of football so there's a ton of coaching that can be done off of this John and, and quite frankly the, the first week the defense didn't get it done. So in that defensive meeting room, you're sitting there going, guys, we let our team down. Well, guess what now? There's a 13-12 victory, and this defense can sit in that in their meeting room and say, well, we've evened the playing field. We've gave the, we've given the offense a little payback here. We kept them out of the end zone on a day when they were struggling. So absolutely it means something, man. That was a big-time stop. And by the way, Angelo Blackson and, and DJ Reader, yep. they ain't getting the love they deserve, my man. They made that play at the goal line. I know, I know Justin Reed was there. Did a cleanup, did a great job being a cleanup man. But DJ Reader and Angelo Blackson, the push they got up front was special, man. They you know, deserve a tip of the hat. They, they deserve a skull and crossbow on the back of the helmet for sure. Oh, man, I got chills. I used to roll the skull and crossbones on my helmet many, many uh, years ago. Oh, my gosh. They, they gave me chills. And you're right, Clint. Not, on, not only on that play, Reader and Blackson were monsters. They are unbelievable up front. They did a tremendous job stopping 
stopping the run, and they did such a good job with their gap discipline stopping Leonard Fournette. Uh, I want to transition to this because you obviously understand the position better than anybody else. But you got Drew Brees down in New Orleans. You got Ben Roethlisberger uh, in Pittsburgh dealing with that injury. Obviously, Nick Foles has already gone down. But we've seen a little bit from Gardner Minshew. Not bad. Mason Rudolph, eh, jury's still out, but he did throw a couple of touchdowns in that game. Teddy Bridgewater is a guy that's had starts in this league. Which team that is now having to play a backup do you look at it and say, I think that team maybe not is destined to be a tremendous success, but can weather the storm without their starting quarterback? Man, I- I'm going to say New Orleans simply because they've got options at quarterback and that division that they're playing in I just don't think is, is very talented. So I, I think – and there's light at the end of the tunnel relative to the fact that Drew Brees is coming back. So – I think Teddy Bridgewater, along with Sean Payton, Taysom Hill, all that talent they have around the quarterback, I, I would be a fool not to say the same. I do think Mason Rudolph will, will do uh, will do a good job in Pittsburgh, though. You take these air raid guys that have just – they've taken a snap and made a decision 80 times a game throughout their college career. They are just more prepared to come off the bench and, and straight sling the football around. So I expect Mason Rudolph to have some success in Pittsburgh as well. There he is, Clint Sterner. You can hear from 2 to 6 every single weekday on Sports Radio 610. You can hear him up in Arkansas when they've got a game up there doing pre-post game up there. You can hear him doing post game with us. The man does it all. He knows ball. And I love having him on, not for just that reason, but for many reasons. And you just heard why. Dirty Red, you're the best, man. We'll talk to you next week, brother. All right, Johnny. We'll see you, baby. Be good. I can't tell you how much I love talking ball with Clint Sterner. Now, We've got a jam-packed second hour. we still got to catch up with our man, Andre Ware. We've got the In the Lab crew, me, Drew Doherty, discussing the offensive line, what we liked about the Jags, seeing some improvement there, uh, and some other things. So we got a snippet from our In the Lab podcast. But we're going to kick off the second hour with a guy by the name of Matt Smith. And Matt Smith, heard that name before. How about Matt Money Smith? Oh, yeah, I've heard that name before. He's been around covering the NFL for a long time. He's been out in L.A., he worked for the NFL Network, and he got the play-by-play job next to Daniel Jeremiah as the man behind the mic out in Los Angeles. We talked to J.B. Long a couple of years ago. We'll catch up with Matt Money Smith with our Men Behind the Mic segment to kick off our second hour of this edition of Texans All Access. See you in a few. Let's kick off the second hour of this edition of Texans All Access with our Men Behind the Mics. Yes, Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans, each and every week catches up with the play-by-play voice of the opponent. And this week, it's the L.A. Chargers. That means Matt Money Smith. Mark, take it away. Joining us right now, it's Matt Money Smith, voice of the L.A. Chargers. Matt, welcome in. And first of all, tell us, the voice of the Chargers, how did you get the gig? What transpired? Here you are in L.A. doing these games. It's awesome. Yeah, you know, I was uh, very fortunate. It's, I, I guess, kind of a Hollywood story, right? They called me uh, when they made the move up north. I had been calling both college and NFL games, and I think they were just kind of looking to to turn over their broadcast, um, you know, and reset and, you know, kind of get established in the new market. And I've been doing a radio show here in Los Angeles since 2006 on the, the station, you know, in the iHeart Network. That they're on and then prior to that i was doing sports on a local fm morning show that uh, was quite famous kevin and bean on k-rock since 1996 so i think they probably looked at it and said well here's a guy who's doing play-by-play and is, is pretty well settled into the market and they reached out to me and certainly i had some contacts 
you know, we had done some stuff with the Chargers as a radio show as well because we had no team here in L.A., so they had kind of been partners with us. So there was certainly some familiarity there. And to make a long story longer and try to put an end to this answer that you probably just wanted a three-word answer for, <laughs> uh, they just reached out, and I said, absolutely, let's do it. What about Daniel Jeremiah? Because we've had him on several times. We had him on for an entire season weekly at one point. What's it like to work with him? He's the best. Uh, DJ and I have done a lot of work together at NFL Network and on NFL.com, covering the draft on podcasts, on .com digital feeds, on television feeds. And when Nick Hardwick decided he wanted to spend more time with the kids and it was just too tough of a commute for him coming up from San Diego, he lives deep San Diego. So it was a challenge for him to stay connected to the team after that first year. And as soon as he decided to, to stick down that way in San Diego and, and leave the analyst position, I, I think – you know, a number of names were, were thrown around. All of them were great. And when DJ's name came up, I didn't want to be kind of the guy that was, was pushing too hard because he's such a you know close friend of mine. When they mentioned it, I just immediately lit up and said, you know, if that's, if that's what you're going with, just stop the search now. He's, he's the best analyst in the business. And I just, I believe that wholeheartedly. I, I have not, you know, he and I, I've worked with Brian Baldinger and I think the two of them are very similar in that they can watch a play in real time and diagnose it from so many different levels, line play, uh, you know, where the help is coming from, what play should have been made that wasn't. It, it, it's just, it's, it's sublime. I mean, it, it's hard to, to fathom how the human mind can work that quickly when there's 22 guys moving around on the field at once yet, he is so good at diagnosing what happened, why it happened, and what should have happened. Matt Money-Smith joining us, voice of the Chargers. So I imagine someday you'll tell stories to your grandchildren about this period in Chargers history, which is still in transition, playing in the smaller stadium, waiting for the bigger place to be available. What is that like? What has it been like ushering the Chargers into the market? Uh, I believe it's the best stadium in the NFL. And I know that's going to be so hard for people to comprehend because it's packed full of opposing fans, but we'll never see anything like it. And it's too bad. I, I think in an era when more and more people are staying home and, and want that second screen um, and are just too busy to, to sit in traffic or deal with a parking lot or wait in line to get in, that this could have been the model. Uh, maybe not twenty three to 25,000, depending on, uh, how many people are, are going to be allowed in for standing room. But it's such a unique experience. And I always tell people it's not, it's not that there isn't a bad seat in the house because you can go to other stadiums and get great seats and say, man, I really felt like I was on top of the action. But the difference with this stadium where the Texans are going to play on Sunday is the sound. Uh, you, can't, you can't understand how much different it is to watch a game without the white noise of, of 60 to 80,000 people there. You hear audibles, you hear conversations on the sideline, you hear coaches, you know, having discussions. And I'm not talking about being in the first five rows. I'm talking about, you know, when you're 20 rows up, you can hear those things. And it's such an, a unique and interesting experience that we're never going to have again. So I cannot, hey, if you're, if you're in Houston and you've kind of kicked around the idea of coming out, do it because you'll, you'll never be able to experience anything like it again in this league. That is very cool stuff. All right, let's talk about the team between the lines. What happened on Sunday? I know you had those final four possessions that they would like the end of back. How are the Chargers after that one? What's the feeling like around the organization? I was surprised. 
Um, and, and I guess because, you know, I went through it in 2017 when they lost so many close games in, in you know, manners which are hard to comprehend. Uh, and they were dejected when we would get on the plane to come back from Jacksonville and Blake Bortles had thrown two interceptions in the five final five minutes. And yet and they had a lead and couldn't win. You know, that's kind of the stuff that they were dealing with. And it was a quiet, somber ride home uh, on this one. I'm not saying they, they were dismissive, but they were just like, man, we, we can't make those mistakes. You know, I mean, we felt like we moved the ball. The defense felt good about stopping the run. Uh, you know, carry on, got a couple, got loose with it a couple times. But overall, they just felt really good about how they played. And, you know, obviously Austin Eckler was, was pretty – he was he was probably the guy that was taking it the hardest. Um, you know, that fumble was huge. You just cannot give up that ball on a first and goal from the one. And I think you go up two scores, and the way the defense was playing, they really would have been able to lean on, I think, another mistake from Stafford and, and just kind of bled that clock a little more. Um, so I was surprised at kind of – I don't want to say they were upbeat, but they walked away going, wow. I mean, we had 450 yards of offense, held them to under three and a half yards per carry, and yet somehow we only scored 10 points. We got to get that cleaned up and we're fine. Matt Money Smith, voice of the Chargers, with us on Texans Radio. Okay, so Phillip Rivers, last man standing for the time being from the 2004 quarterback class with Roethlisberger out for the year and Eli Manning seeing the bench. What's Rivers like to be around on a regular basis? He's the best. Um, and yeah, I know I'm the, the play-by-play guy, right? And I'm biased, but man, he, he is an individual that loves football so much that it is, it, it's just hard for me to under, and I guess if you're, you know, a Bronco fan or a Raider fan or something, you're tired of hearing him chirp at your sideline or, or get upset with the officials. But like, so after the game, right, we're walking on the plane and I think this is just Phillip and, and I'll try to do my best Phillip Rivers accent here. He, uh, he says, Hey, and two penalties with the touchdowns and legit penalties. I was like, yeah, I'm, I was like, I, I guess they were probably maybe not the one on Tevi. That was a questionable block on that. Golly, I felt the same way. Yeah, in and I can see, but man, I thought that one on Tevi wasn't good. I mean, like, that's just how that guy is, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, he lived it. He breathed it. I've heard him having arguments with offensive linemen about which three wide receivers that they could have any in the history of the NFL they would want to make up their team. That's just how he is. I mean, he's a football geek, and it's kind of fun to be around knowing that here's someone who's probably going to go into the Hall of Fame relatively soon after he retires um, to, to still be into it. Like, you know, DJ was watching college film on the way back on um, an Ohio State defensive end and Judy out of Alabama, and Phil was just walking by. <laughs> he just stopped. like, hey, what are you watching? And just sat down next to DJ and just starts chopping it up about, you know, Judy's release. It was it's hilarious. I mean, he's He's that much fun to be around. He's just a total – I mean, he and I have gotten into conversation about flag football and his kid and Friday Night Lights in San Diego versus Friday Night Lights where I live in Orange County. I mean, it's he really is a joy to be around. Is he still limoing into the facility from the San Diego area every day? How's he handling his life right now? He does. Yeah, he's still – you know, they, they're settled down there. His son's about to start high school down there, and, and he's got a daughter in high school. So I think with all the kids – you know, kind of having their friend group and their peers, they didn't want to uproot him and, and pull him up north. So he has this sprinter van that's been converted essentially to a mobile film studio. So he just watches football <laughs> film uh, there and back. And it's about a, you know, 70-minute commute for him. So it's not too bad. Uh, and he loves it. He's like, you know, by myself, I get to just kind of watch a ton of film and, and work on my game and, and study an opponent. 
Matt Money Smith joining us, voice of the Chargers here on Texans Radio. Okay, what's the L.A. sports market like right now? The two NFL teams in the market. You've got all this crazy NBA stuff going on. You've got the Dodgers and the Angels. You have hockey. So two hockey teams. What's it like there in L.A.? What, how would you describe what kind of sports town it is or sports area? So it's a great sports town. Um, you know, the Dodgers and Lakers, I, I think, have as dedicated and committed a fan base as any teams in the nation. Um, you know, you take your Yankees and your your Red Sox and whatever, your Bears, you know, when you think of those just kind of blue-collar markets and how they feel about their teams. Um, those two teams dominate the marketplace. Uh, and it is hard. It's going to be hard for both the Rams and the Chargers to, to try to figure out where they where they slide in. Um, even when the Kings were winning multiple cups, they never I never really felt like they were growing their fan base a whole lot. Um, I thought, you know, I don't think hockey as a sport really expanded. You know, nothing like that happened. Um, it'll be interesting with the Clippers if they can rip off a championship or two, whether or not they'll be able to grow. Um, as far as professional football, I'll say this. I think the one thing it has impacted um, is college football. You know, the Rose Bowl and the Coliseum used to be pretty well packed with people for SC and UCLA games, and you've seen their numbers come down these last couple of years and this year as well, especially for UCLA because they've been so bad. And, and I'm interested to see what kind of impact it's going to have on them. Uh, and if that's where they end up taking, you know, some fans from. But, but right now, yeah, they're the Ram, Even you know, even though the Rams went to the Super Bowl, and I think everyone was like, oh, what are you, what are Chargers going to do now that the Rams win? And they got there's no way they're going to be the Clippers to their Lakers. And it's like, hey, man, the Rams and the the Chargers are both Clippers. You know, if you want to put it into that sort of, you know, through that lens and look at it through that prism, they're they're both the Clippers when it comes to L.A. as it relates to the Lakers and the Dodgers, and that's. That's what you're trying to figure out. And, you know, I've had a, a bunch of conversations about it, and I have, I have said, look, there's a model out there. Now, can you replicate it? Probably not, but look at the Patriots. I mean, that team was ready to move. I had friends in Boston at the time. They didn't give two rips about the past. They might as well have not existed. Um, and now they're the most popular team in town because they became a dominant dynasty. And that's a town that had the Celtics and the Red Sox. And I think L.A. is very similar, and it's going to take that sort of just – stretch of let's say five to seven years where this is one of the best teams in the NFL and you're competing for championships and maybe winning a couple I think before you're going to be able to kind of work yourself in that conversation one more for you Matt what's the feeling out there on the Texans and on this game on Sunday well the Texans certainly have things that give the Chargers problems um a very athletic and mobile quarterback um you know Deshaun is is the, is the type of passer that, that gives them issues. And a lot of that has to – and it's, it's going to be impacted even more. Not only are they down Derwin James, but now they're down Adrian Phillips, who was Derwin's backup. So you're probably going to see Sean Jenkins move up into that strong safety spot, and that's after an offseason where he lost 15 pounds so he could be more nimble playing free. Um, that's going to impact him. The fact that you got two ends. And, you know, Sam Tebby has turned into a really, really good right tackle. Um, he's young, but in his third year out of Utah, he's really become a great player on that line. Left tackle now, you got an issue. And obviously with the Texans, that's a big concern. So you've got to leave a tight end in. Um, they, they've, you know, I'll tell you, in light of this Melvin Gordon, you know, holdout, they've, they've really had Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson do a bang-up job in pass protection. So that's – 
that's where the concerns are. Uh, I think the Texans, you know, probably match up pretty darn well with this team. Now the flip side of that, of course, is, is how the Chargers feel defensively, you know, with, with both and Ingram on the edges, knowing the issues that, that this team has had trying to keep Deshaun Watson protected and him maybe hanging onto the ball a beat or two too long regularly. So, you know, that's, that's where the game's going to be won, I think. It'll, it'll be if Bosa and Ingram can, can win that matchup and, and make life tough on, on Deshaun Watson. And then conversely, if, if Phillips, who is so good at overcoming deficiencies on the offensive line, but if it's just too much for him to overcome, I think that's how it tilts in the Texans' favor. Great analysis. Hey, we really appreciate the time, man. Thanks a lot for joining us, and I look forward to seeing you on Sunday in the band box in L.A. There we go. I look forward to seeing you as well. Good stuff there from Matt Money Smith, diving into a lot of different realms, if you will, with Mark Vandermeer and our men behind the mics. Now, we're going to have Andre Ware coming up in the next segment, but this week's Stats Challenge is brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexas.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. So, your stat Challenge tonight is on pace guy. I love being on pace guy. At this rate on pace guy would tell you that Whitney Merciless is on pace for 24 sacks and 16 forced fumbles well that would be a good season wouldn't it 24 sacks 16 forced fumbles Uh, you could just write him in NFL defensive player of the year but that's what he's on pace for three sacks thus far two forced fumbles throwing an interception he's on pace for eight interceptions so he's on pace to do some pretty good stuff, but those would be great numbers. But he's already put up two games worthy of numbers and why he is AFC Defense Player of the Week. On Sunday, he had two sacks, two forced fumbles, played the run extremely well. He was excellent. And if he finishes his year with 24 sacks and 16 forced fumbles and eight interceptions, it'll be the greatest season in NFL history for a defensive player. So on pace guy, eh, he's going to lose out a little bit. But those numbers, those stats are truly Phenomenal stuff right there from Schlumberger. All right, let's get to our man Andre Ware next right here on Texans All Access. Can't wait to get to L.A. on Saturday afternoon for a game on Sunday afternoon. Now, a guy that's going to get there a little bit later than us, but he will be there, is Andre Ware. He is our game analyst, been a game analyst from the beginning. He's got a college game in Virginia, in Seaville, Charlottesville. So what I called home for a couple of summers. Great Great place. But he's got a game in Virginia. And then he's going to fly all the way cross country to cover the Texans out in L.A. And then we'll fly home with us after the game. I don't know how he does it. This is as tough a trip as you could possibly have. But our buddy Andre Ware talked about the Chargers, talked about what we saw against the Jags, and obviously what he will be doing this weekend covering the University of Virginia. Dre, here we go to L.A. to face the L.A. Chargers And I've got some news for you, my friend. I've been told that we are going to love this tiny little stadium that holds 27,000 people because the booth is excellent and the sight lines are good. And, yeah, it might not be the greatest home field advantage for the Chargers, but who cares? We'll be comfortable. Your thoughts on going out there? Yeah, you know, I I think it's a a good road trip. It's a good test uh, to go go out and face a, a, a quarterback the caliber of Philip Rivers. Now they've got injuries and holdouts and and all uh, all of the above, but uh, I think it'll be a a good test for the team and and uh, and a tough test, especially I think with the Chargers coming off a loss in Detroit, you're definitely going to get their best. There's no doubt about it. 
Yeah, and the Chargers had a lot of possessions down the stretch that they want back. Turnovers, missed field goals, that kind of thing. Now, as far as the Texans go, obviously wanted more points last week, but got the win. What about offensively? The running game is working well. What do they need to do to continue to do that well and improve in the passing game? Yeah, I thought at times last week uh, the way Carlos Hyde was was running the football. I mean, he's closing in on a hundred yard performance, ninety yards on on uh, on twenty carries. That they would actually stay with the run a little bit more, and uh, and they had it pretty much whenever they wanted it. It uh, you know I, I think it's worth uh, worth the offensive line or the investment in the offensive line to to kind of ease them in comfortably, so to speak. And that's the best way to do it is is to just run block and let guys come off the football. And when you're doing it with a degree of success that they were they were having with Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson at times, uh, I thought maybe, maybe, just maybe you stick with it. Developing timing with the receivers. You know, QT's been out a bunch. You have Stills just getting here. He's made some catches look good. Hopkins is Hopkins, but – They've got to find a way to get the chemistry generated, get in sync, and it's hard to do it in the flow of a season. What are you thinking about that? Yeah, that's why, you know, I go back to the preseason and you, you look at the the, uh, the lack of reps in a game-type situation, and it's, it's hard to go from, from zero to 60 miles an hour, so to speak, in, in terms of building continuity and chemistry. And that's what offensive football is all about. It's about being on the same page, building continuity within a group, and, and, and the group at some point uh, functioning as one. And it's just going to take a little time because they didn't get the preseason reps together. De, uh, Deshaun Watson played a little bit in the preseason, not very much. Will Fuller didn't play at all, didn't see Hopkins, you know, so on and so forth. And so even with the offensive line, which makes everything work uh, in, one, in one, one, big, one instance, so to speak, this is a new group that hasn't played a whole lot of football together. So they're still learning everything. And if you can't get things up front to work uh, together, then everything else around it, no matter how talented you are as an offensive group, uh, it's going to take some time. Whitney Merciless, three sacks so far, year eight for him. And he's off to a terrific start, best start of his career. Why is that? Is he just more comfortable pass rushing from that side? Yeah, I think so, and it's uh, you know a situation where he knows that he's in the game. He knows that he's the starter, and and uh, there's some confidence that comes with that, uh, knowing that you can be relied on in the coaching staff as well as your teammates feel like you're you're uh, you're capable of doing the job, and he has. And so that's why I think he's off to this 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 magical start, so to speak, at uh, at outside linebacker. He is. He's just playing with his hair on fire right now, and it's, it's a lot of fun to see. Yeah, and the other linebackers doing well, too. Zach Cunningham, I know you've always been a fan of him, but Ardrick McKinney yeah. doing well. Uh, and they're going to have to continue to do that to slow down this running game with Eckler and everything else that they're going to get thrown at them in the next few weeks. Yeah, and I'm tossing Brennan Scarlett's uh, name as well because he's been close on a couple of occasions uh, to, to having his name called in the sack category. So, uh, it's it's one a situation with him where he's actually there, forces the quarterback up, and then somebody else is uh, reaping the benefits of a sack. But uh, he's been close. Look for him to uh, to get one on the board or not one on the board uh, in his own right. But that that group as a whole has played very well this season. Ray, the secondary, we know Colvin's gone, obviously, was for this game. And you get Roby in there doing some things. And Jonathan Joseph, of course, 
But what about Lonnie Johnson? I know you watched him a lot in college, and he needs to really get going in a hurry as a rookie, which is tough in this league, but they, they need him, put it that way. Yeah, I think against Jacksonville and a rookie quarterback with Gardner Minshew, uh, Gardner Minshew, he, uh, he wasn't targeted. I, I think he's going to be this week. Uh, there'll be a lot on his plate. Phillip Rivers will identify him, and he'll test you know, he'll test what's under the engine, so to speak, in terms of uh, sending guys at him, trying to match him up formationally, uh, so on and so forth. But I think Garner Minshew was just trying to complete passes where uh, I think a guy like Phillip Rivers, an experienced quarterback, will indeed identify him and see, hey, until you stop it, we're going to throw it over there. Dre Rivers is from that class of 2004. Roethlisberger out for the season from the same class. Eli Manning benched from the same class. I mean, I think it's impressive how long these guys have played, but Rivers is still out there doing his thing. Yeah, when you get up to, you know, into the the teens, so to speak, and you're still playing at a very high level, they've done a nice job of surrounding him with some talent. We know about Keenan Allen and the job that that, uh, he's done over his seven-year career. Now you had you know, a guy like Mike Williams, who's finally healthy uh, to that mix. You're right. It, it's impressive that he's been around this long. It's even more impressive that uh, that he's still playing at a very, very high level. All right, so what about all these quarterback injuries? Coincidental thing? I mean, it's got to be, right? Breeze, that was a freaky thing. Roethlisberger, you saw the highlight or low light yeah. in this case. It's just kind of weird how this is happening to so many guys so early in the season. Yeah, I don't think you can point to one thing and say, hey, it's causing this. Uh, I think it's just the, the the year. There's kind of accidents or injuries that happen during uh, sometimes it's hamstrings, sometimes it's high ankle sprains, sometimes it's shoulder injuries from uh, from player to player or from team to team. Uh, you just get hurt. And uh, I guess this is the year of the quarterback, so to speak, where you're losing – uh, some pretty uh, significant ones and, and talented ones in a guy like Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger in, in the same week. It's unfortunate, um, uh, and that's kind of a lot of it's all about timing, too. You just think think back for a second if the Texans were facing the Saints this week as opposed to in week mm. one when Brees wouldn't be there and then he was there in week one. Uh, but, uh, you know, needless to say, it's it's just unfortunate for those guys. Um but they will bounce back. Ben Roethlisberger will play again, as will Drew Brees. And Drew Brees has a chance to, to actually come back in a couple of weeks. So uh, I don't think New Orleans is going to be out without him for very long. You look at the young quarterbacks, though, in the NFL with Watson here and Mahomes and what Lamar Jackson yeah. is doing. And Murray looks like he's off to a pretty good start as well. I mean, there's a lot of hope for the future, a lot of star power moving forward. Yeah, there's a good mix, I think, of veterans and then young players who – are coming into their own, so to speak. Uh, all the guys that you just talked about uh, pretty much are, are guys they've moved. You know, that that's what the position is kind of evolving to is, is a player that, that is not a stationary target that sits in the pocket anymore. It's a guy that, that can move around and make plays with his legs, a more athletic type player. And it's kind of uh, made the game even more so fun to watch offensively. Dre, what do you have on the college circuit this week? Going up to uh, Virginia. Virginia is a hot team. They're picked to win the Coastal this year. I think six teams have won the Coastal in the last six seasons. It's Virginia's turn. They're the only team that hasn't uh, beat a good Florida State team last week, and they're playing ODU, who, you know, when I break down the film, I've been pleasantly surprised to see not only 
the team itself with the size and, and the athletic ability that they display on both sides of the football. Uh, this will be a good good matchup for you, for me, and uh, looking forward to it. Okay, and I think the game plan of getting from Charlottesville to L.A. has to be one of the more under-the-radar, behind-the-scenes, you know, compelling stories of the weekend, perhaps. Yeah, there'll be two Charlottes involved in the travel. Charlottesville to Charlotte and then Charlotte to Los Angeles. So, uh, But, but uh, luck will be on my side. I got a feeling we'll be, uh, I'll be sit, sitting right next to you when, uh, when the ball's kicked. All right, my friend. Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. All right, buddy. There he is, Andre Ware, who is chucking up some frequent flyer miles, taking that trip. My brother-in-law is taking that trip from Charlotte to L.A. It's a monster. He actually is take, he took one from Raleigh, San Francisco, and he's taking one from Charlotte to L.A. Whew, that's a long flight. And Dre told us Monday, he's like, eh, let's get on the plane and sleep, which is true. I can't do that. I get on a plane. I'm a, I'm a nervous Nelly. That's just me. I get high anxiety on a plane. So hopefully Dre has a good flight, gets some rest, and gets ready to call this game on Sunday. Now, the In the Lab crew gets together each and every Tuesday for our weekly podcast. This week, Drew Doherty and I sat down and talked about the offensive line and who are cream-of-the-crop players against Jacksonville last Sunday. We'll have that for you next right here on Texans All Access. We've got one final segment of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you. How about a little next-gen stats? I've gotten kind of into this. Not that I'm living and dying with stats, but I always find there's some very interesting stuff in some of these stats. Fastest ball carriers in the 2019 season thus far. Will Fuller comes in at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Tied for 10th with Raheem Mostart. In week one, his 54-yard reception down the field, Will Fuller came in 10th. He ran 21.03 miles per hour. Now, these next-gen stats are powered by AWS. The thing about it is, if Will had caught the ball clean, like caught it on the run where he could catch and run, I think he would be the number one guy. Cordell Patterson is the number one guy against the Denver Broncos, he reached 22.23 as the top speed in the NFL this year. Will Fuller comes in tied for 10. I tell you, I'm telling you, if Will gets out in the open, catches one, splits his seam, and then he's got to hit max speed, he will be number one on this list. But number one, Cordero Patterson, Saquon Barkley at 21.76. That was number two. Odell Beckham Jr. the other night hit 21.7. He was smoking down the field on his 89-yard reception. It was about a 15 to 17 yard catch and then it was like a 70 yard run. Excellent stuff from Odell Beckham Jr. But Will Fuller is 10th in the league for 21.03 miles per hour and those next gen stats brought to you by AWS. All right, let's talk a little lineman with the In the Lab crew. Me and Drew Doherty. Drew, I only want to talk about one main thing before we do our cream of the crop and wrap this thing up. One main thing, it was the focus of consternation all last year, mm-hmm. all off season. Understandably yep. so. Texans um, and Deshaun Watson, 62 sacks last year. Way too many. So far, he's been sacked 10 times in two games. That's not good either. But I think we see a glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope, based on the shakeups that we saw on the offensive line sure. last week. So Laramie Tunsil started again at left tackle. Yep. Next to him, though. The rookie, 
Titus Howard, the hand and, the, and everything had healed up enough sure. for him to go. Center was Nick Martin. Right guard, Zach Fulton. And out at right tackle, it wasn't Chantrell Henderson. It was a guy who really impressed us all in training camp. Yep. Really impressed us in the preseason work that he had when he was working at left tackle. Yep. Talking about Roderick Johnson. I really like what I saw, John, because I think yep. a few of the sacks we saw on uh, Sunday were really not your typical sacks and, and not your you know, not your sacks that you can attribute to a, a, right. a porous offensive line. Yeah, I'm... I think uh, we talk about PFF a lot, Pro Football Focus, mm-hmm. and I don't put a ton of stock in what they, the numbers that they come up with, because I think it's very difficult to grade players. Because it's, it's you don't hard. know you don't know a, you don't know what players have been assigned to do, right? And they might be carrying out their assignment, but it looks and it really came to like fruition for me because I was watching the Seahawks and the Bengals, and. The Bengals broadcast radio broadcast crew, they they put some of the radio broadcast crew highlights on a play that the Seahawks had run. It was a touchdown for the Seahawks, and they were blasting their starting safety for making what they thought was a huge mistake. But in fact, they didn't recognize the coverage, so they're blasting Jesse Bates, and Bates is, you know, I mean, he's playing the coverage the way it's supposed to be, but they didn't they didn't see it. They like missed it. They misconstrued what they were looking at, and they like, what's Bates doing? This is terrible. And so, like, you know, that's, that's the hard part because you don't know what the call is. You don't know what exactly you're supposed to. So I, I think there's there's some level of what PFF does that I'm just – I take with a grain of salt, especially when people are like, well, the PFF says they had a 90 degree. And I'm like, look, I watch with my eyes, and if my eyes – that grade matches with my eyes, then great. If my eyes don't match what the grade is, then I'm like, oh, I want to go back and watch again yeah. and see. And I go, oh, no, no, no. Okay, I know what this is supposed to be, et cetera. But Because basically they grade in a vacuum. Right. And you can't, yeah, can't grade in a vacuum very, when you got difficult. 10 others to, depending on you. And, and I credit them for, for creating an industry. I mean, they, they've done a really good job yeah. for themselves, and I think it's fantastic, but I think it's very, very difficult. But they said of the four sacks, they credited two or three of them to Deshaun. And I don't know if I would say Deshaun, but I think what you could say is coverage. There were times when he went back to pass and the coverage was good and there was nothing he could do. And there was one, they brought the nickel blitz and DJ Hayden got a shot on Deshaun. And that play seemed to be kind of just dead on arrival because guys did get beat on the offensive line and Hayden came free. The next time that Hayden ran that blitz, though, Deshaun hit Jordan Akins for a 16-yard gain. So I felt like overall... When they needed, what, 15? Yeah. <laughs> I think he got 15 and a half when he reached the yeah. ball. That was a tremendous play by Jordan Akins. It was, it was one of the, the more unmentioned plays that, sh- that should have been. More underrated plays in the game. It was an incredible play by Jordan Akins and it helped lead to the field goal at the end and a half. But I felt like overall, group still coming together. Pass protection takes a lot of communication and working together, Mm -hmm. a lot. Run blocking sometimes is just we know what the run play is, just come off the ball and hit somebody in the face. What I like about it is that that's what we're doing. We are coming off the ball, and we're hitting dudes in the face. We're getting hat on a hat. We're getting movement off the line of scrimmage. I did a telestrator on there was a run that Duke had in the first half, I think, and the whole right side just caved in. It was like if if you had if you have like a parallel or you have a line, 
and then all of a sudden that line is just pivoted on the left side and just pivots. Mm-hmm. And it pivots like four or five yards. That's essentially what they did. They just caved in that whole side. Rod knocked Darius four yards downfield. Unfortunately, Rod didn't stay on the block long enough. Darius ended up forcing Duke to move, but it wasn't until four yards downfield that Duke actually had to make a cut mm-hmm. because they had pushed guys downfield. I think Titus – I thought Titus did a pretty decent job for the most part. I know he got the tripping call, and it was it was valid. He got a, he got a good one on Campbell, but Campbell didn't get a shot on Deshaun. Right. So sometimes you'll get away with it. The one thing I want to see Titus I think that's, do – I think that is a – you don't want to see tripping. You don't no, want to see your guys commit penalties. But you also don't want your quarterback getting needlessly hit. And yeah. uh, you know what? It's one that in a win, okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I don't know that it really would have been the contributing factor to a loss of the Texans not pull. But yeah. I'm okay with that. Right. I'm okay with not having Watson get jacked in the ribs right. or something happen to it. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, I am too. I had, Actually, when I thought about it later on, I was like, yeah, it negated a big play, but he didn't get hit again. It's so. kind of like when you, you a receiver breaks free and a DB just pulls on a shirt and he can't there's so so he's not going to catch the touchdown. Right. Well, you know, you gave away 30 yards but you didn't give away the score and you right. you've lived to fight another day. Yeah, and I think that's that's essentially what happened and it's a it's a learning thing for Titus. I think the one thing Titus has got to do when you play tackle versus playing guard, you know, when you're out on an island and you're blocking a guy in the, in the passing game, like sometimes it just like the timing in your head, you know the ball's got to be gone. So sometimes you just have dominated your guy and you just kind of stop at some point. You're like, all right, the ball should be gone, so I'm going to kind of watch the rest of the play. There was one play in particular where it was – I think it was a run play, and Titus was blocking, and then he was on the block or he missed the block or he fell off the block, and he was just kind of standing there. And whoever's running the ball broke through a tackle and literally ran into him. And it's like, look, you block till that damn whistle all the time. Yeah. You block – until you hear the whistle. Like, if you fell off a block or whatever, I used to tell my guys this all the time because one of the things that, that they would do is they would miss a block and then they would go backwards trying to find their guy. Like, they would block to the whistle. But I'm like, look, if you miss your block or you go and he's not there, like, he's slanted or moved away, like, you just keep going. Like, go to the next – just keep running to the next jersey up the field. Yeah. Those are the little things that Titus – that that Titus has got to work through. And I think when he does that, he's going to be a really good player. But I liked the way in the run game in particular that they all worked, and I felt like the pass protection improved from week one to week two. A lot of that has to do with communication, and I think it will continue to get better. Okay. Um, what did you think of Roderick Johnson? I thought Rod played pretty well. PFF did credit one of the sacks to Rod. And Josh Allen gave him a little bit of an issue. But I'll – Say this, Josh Allen is probably the closest thing that we've seen to Khalil Mack. And I know that's – that. whoa, wait a second. I've seen a lot of guys come through this league to this point from 2014 till now. I've not seen a guy with that combination of skills, length, ability to drop in coverage, rush, strength, all the assets you're looking for in a guy like Josh Allen has, like Khalil Mack. So – in NFL start number one for Rod Johnson, he limited a guy like that mm-hmm. with that skill set to one sack. Yeah. And on the whole, the run game was able to do what it did. Right. And I, that's pretty darn good, right? That's pretty good. For, I mean, for a debut? Yeah, and I think Josh Allen's going to get better and better. But I felt like Rod did a pretty good job. I talked to him in the locker room after the game, 
And right before I got to him, Brandon Dunn was like, hey, Rod, congrats on the first start of your career. And you get this Rod was smiling from ear to ear. And I said, uh, um, I said, yeah, congratulations, man. And I said, just like I told you in training camp, you've come a long way, man. You've come a long way. You deserve to start. You did a good job. He says, smile. He goes, man, I just got it. I got to do better. I got to do better. Yeah. And I will do better. And he's been consistent about saying that because yes. we've interviewed him a few and different getting times. Better. Yeah. And getting better. That's he's, the thing. It's one thing to say, like, oh, I got to get better. But he's then heard the accolades, but he knows, like, I still have yeah. a ways to go. And, and I, like, he's striving for greatness, which and, is what you want to see. And look, here. whether Rod stays at right tackle or not, I don't know. I know, and we both know that this coaching staff really likes Max Sharping and everything he brings. Well, I, that's who I was going to bring up next. We still have not heard or seen him, right? and we will, and that's a good thing. At some point, you're going to hear from Max Sharping because right. he's, he's got a future, and it's a bright one. There's and, no question. And I'm really I'm, – I'm, I'm very excited about this. I am not down about that at all. But with Max, what it's doing for, for Rod Johnson to be playing well, for Zach Fulton to be playing well, is Max doesn't have to get thrown in the fray right away. Right. He, his development can take a little bit longer. I know people say, well, he's a second-round pick. Yeah, I know, but you look at Justin Reed. Justin Reed is now turned into one of our better defensive players in a short amount of time, but he didn't start till week four or week five he last year. He started 12 games last year. Right. He's got the, the fewest starts of those safeties when you include Jaleel Adai, who started all 16 games plus right. two playoff right. games. You, you include Tashawn Gibson, right. all 12 games last year. Yeah, and yet he's still the leader of that group. He's yeah, the that's, leader of that group. Yeah. Exactly. And, and boy, what a play that he made. But I think it just allows – I think every coach would love to be able to say this. We'd like for our rookies to develop, but we don't want them to have to be thrown into fray right away when they're not quite ready. And not saying that Max is or isn't. It's just that he can develop on his own time. And yeah. I think that's that's the beauty of that. And, look, if Rod Johnson – turns into a a really good right tackle and you're happy with him every single week and he just gets better and better and better and better, great. It's like the $20 it's bill. Fantastic. $20 bill you find in your jacket in like Bingo. late October, early November when that cold front comes through and you're like, hey, i got to wear my jacket. Yeah. Uh, anyways, all right. Let's do cream of the crop. Time for cream of the crop. And that's where basically we chit-chat about our player who we thought was – Awesome this game, the cream mm-hmm. of the crop. I mean, it's pretty explanatory. I'm going to go first. I'm going to go with Carlos Hyde. We brought him up Very earlier. Good. 20 carries for 90 yards. He had a long John in this one. You like that long John? Yeah, long John. Of 14 yards. So that's a good run. That's technically an explosive run. But it's not like he had a few of those. He had that 14-yarder, and then he just moved chains Five yards, six yards, four yards, five yards, six yards. I mean, he was absolutely strong in this one. Yeah. Did not get pushed back. Followed up on what he did in week one. Carlos Hyde is my cream of the crop. This is a guy you traded Martinez Rankin for. Right. And that's really, really exciting. You've gotten a durable, productive running back doing good things when you really needed it after Lamar Miller goes down. Yep. And he's complimented by Duke Johnson, who's doing a solid job as well. But... I love what I'm seeing from Carlos Hyde so far. He's my cream of the crop for what we saw on Sunday, John. It was really good. Really good. I think it's hard not to say that Whitney Merciless mm-hmm. is not cream of the crop. See, I put on a tee for you again. I know I, you did. I did Hopkins did. last week so you could do Watson. So yeah. There we uh, go. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think there's some guys that you can you can put in a category. I'll, I'll say this before I talk a little bit about Whitney. 
there's so much hand-wringing after the Jadeveon Clowney trade, and you're like, well, how are you going to get pass rush? What are you going to get pass rush for? I saw pass rush from three guys on Sunday in Jake Martin and Brent Scarlett and Charles Amenahu that I look at and go, if those guys rush like that when they get the opportunities. You know, the, the strip sack that Charles Amenahu has, J.J. Watt's not on the field. And the irony of that play where Charles stripped the ball and then Brennan blasted Minshew, the, I know you agree with me, Whitney is the one guy that gets blocked on the whole play. Like, Whitney, like, he's throwing every move. He can't uh-huh. get there. For some reason, Will Richardson blocked him the best he did all day on that one play, but everybody else got there. And, and, and J.J. was not on the field in that play. So you create a strip sack when J.J.'s not on the field. I mean, that's huge. But the spin move that Whitney uses is tremendous. But the spin move that he used on Will Richardson mm-hmm. was as good of one I've ever seen. It was one of those where – it worked so perfectly that Minshew didn't even get to his drop point and Whitney is on him. It was like when he spun inside, the spin created so much momentum to propel him towards Minshew. Sometimes your spin move just gets you around the guy and then you kind of have to collect yourself and go. The spin move propelled Whitney past everybody and gave him like this extra boost to get to Gardner Minshew and what a play it was. And by the way, I don't know how J.J. Watt got the ball to that pile. I have no idea. I've watched that play a million times, Drew. I have no idea. Because he's a jungle cat, remember? It, you and I have talked about it. He's a great athlete. He's, he's got those big old hands. He can. He's fast. He's quick. He can see. He's unbelievable. How he ended up getting the ball out of that pile is absolutely just unreal to me. All right. That's our cream of the crop. And that is going to do it for this week's version of In the Lab. Uh, as always, John, fun talking with you. Yeah, and we will talk with you again next Tuesday. And there you go. Show in the books. Big thanks to DP Sidhu, Eric Williams, Mark Vandermeer, Andre Ware, Clint Sterner, Drew Doherty, Matt Money-Smith, anybody else I forgot, thank you. And most of all to you guys for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.